0: Well, as you know, we're in uh, Ephesians, and we're in chapter 5. Before I begin, I'd like to pray, and then we'll uh, jump into this next section that we're starting today. Our Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you, God, for this day, and I thank you that we can be here again. Lord, I I say that so often, but Lord, I'm truly grateful that uh, we can be here at this church and in your presence Lord, I ask that you would bless this time as we look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from simple opinion. But Lord, truly, I pray that it would be your truth and your word that's presented today in this building. Lord, help us to be good recipients of your word. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. As I said, we're moving into the final sections of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for a long time. We're getting right down to the end of the book. We're almost into that last chapter. Okay. And I have to say, and I'll pro- you'll probably hear me say this all the time for the next several weeks, but uh, I-, I just think this is this is my favorite part, favorite. Oh my goodness! Favorite part of being a preacher is the ability to preach through a passage of Scripture. There's so much that I've learned. As I've gone through this, it's just amazing to me the things that I had missed so many times. But as I sit here and I study through these words, I'm just blown away. And I think, Lord, how did, we, how did I miss that so many times? And so I'm so thankful that I'm able to, to preach through this. I, I love the opportunity. Um, the last section we were just in, I titled Living Life in Time uh, because of Paul's uh, recommendation to, to redeem the time because the days are, are evil. And we're at the very end of that section. He says uh, we're to submit to one another. And I thought about having uh, this slide that would come up and um, let's see. We, heard, we got the word submit. I'm just going to put the word submit up there. I thought about when it when it popped up, um, having like the scary movie music go at the same time, like pop up submit dun dun dun. You know, every time that it pop, the word submit pops up, and, and the reason why I thought about doing that is because th- this word has a bit of a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? When I throw the word submit up there, there's some of you that, yeah, you know, you kind of, uh, you know, it's just our nature. We don't like to submit, right? We don't like to submit to other people. And especially if I throw in there the next topic that, we're gonna, that, that Paul jumps into after he throws in this word submit, he jumps into this topic of, of marriage. Oh, man, when I throw submit and marriage in the same sentence... Now there's some people that would want to throw something at me. I mean that just wow, you know that's that's so you know backwoods Matt, you know what's wrong with you but let, 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 but we're here today to study the word of God, and we want to know what Scripture teaches us. and so first of all, as we look at this word submit," I want you to notice, and we're this is right in Ephesians chapter five uh, verse uh, twenty one where Paul says, Submitting to one another." And he ties this idea of submission, he says, out of a reverence or a fear of Christ. And so he does something important here. He says, you, you're to submit. So let me call it mutual submission, right? He said, you're sub, to submit to one another. And he ties it indirectly to, out of, not because of who you're submitting to, but he says, submit to one another out of a reverence. For the Christ, for Jesus. That's why we're to submit. Now that connection that he makes out of a reverence for Christ, to, to, to reverence something, just to, to hold it up important in your mind, to revere it, right? to set it up, this is really important. And so as Paul now talks about submission and what submission is going to look like, we have to remember that his picture of submission and what submission looks like is tied to directly to the person of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see that as we go through this, these next few sections of uh, Ephesians. You're going to see that clearly. So, uh, let's get into this. Because as Paul talks about submitting to one another, he begins to ask the question, well, what does that submission look like? And so, as we're getting out of that section and starting this last one, starting off with verse 22, Paul's going to say, what does this mutual submission look like? Submit to one another, and then he starts bringing it into context. He says, what does mutual submission look like with husbands and wives? What does submission look like with parents and their children? And he says, what submission look like with the slaves and their masters, or for us, we might say bosses and their employees, right? What does submission actually look like? And so I want to read a big chunk today, Ephesians 5, 22, to 33. We're going to start at verse 22 and read all the way to the end. If you'd like to just listen in, you can follow along in your Bible if you want. Uh, Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. I'm just going to read the whole section. And if you want to just listen to it or if you want to follow along, that would be great. Starting off with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about in this section. All kind, I mean, I could have a whole marriage conference, couldn't I? Could we just, just do a whole big marriage thing? We could talk about marriage for weeks on end. Some of this stuff you guys know. Let me just hit some potential topics that we could talk about. The first one is obvious. We could talk about submission. Submission. This obviously plays an important role in this section. Did you guys notice verse 22? What's it say? Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I Man, that, that's a high degree of submission, isn't it? That's what Paul says. I know, like I said a minute ago, I know that that could seem back, you know, I want to say backwards or maybe backwoods to some of you. But, you know, this is one of the great things about basing our beliefs and one of the challenges of basing our beliefs on something that's timeless. See, there's... There's a reality that, that many of us, our beliefs are based in our, our current culture. What does our culture think? What is, current, what is the current opinion? But see, the Bible stands outside of that. So when, when the Bible presents a truth, it's something that's been around for 2,000 years. And we can hold on to something that's not changing. Which is good, because you're fortunate to be in this culture, but there's cultures in this world where women are still treated as property. Is that not true? And so, here, here you have something, the Bible stands outside of culture and says, this is what's right and this is what should happen. And, and it, it's not bound by the current passing opinions. Which, you're, you're going to find, if you, if you hold on to something that's timeless in a changing world, you're going to find that sometimes it goes right along with the culture, and sometimes it stands in sharp contradiction to the culture. And then sometimes you'll see that parts of it agree and parts of it disagree. But we have to be the kind of people that say, are we going to believe Scripture or not? Are we going to hold to the Word of God or not? Are we going to, we going to set our trust and our faith on what God has revealed? Are we going to set our belief system on what's the current trend? What do we think right now? And it's a challenge to talk about these kinds of things, especially because, like I said, there's a negative connotation. If I talk about why I submit to your husband, I mean, there's, there's people that their skin crawls just thinking about that. What? they want to smack you when you start talking about that. You know, they're expecting you to, you know, walk in and, yeah, submit to your husband. I mean, that's that's what they think when they hear that kind of stuff. They're like, what is this about? You know, but sometimes the Word of God fits in. Sometimes it stands in sharp contradiction. But you have to understand, first of all, when we talk about submission, the word submit does not mean that you're a doormat. The word submit means to place yourself under someone else's authority. It's a choice that you make. I'm going to choose to have you be the authority in this situation. I'm going to submit to you. It's, there's a, that's the sub at the beginning there. I'm going to submit to, to this person. All right? It means to place yourself under the authority. And notice it says like the church with Christ. Yeah, As to the Lord is what it says. See, this leads, though, to another topic. See, we could spend a whole week talking about that, but this leads to another topic. And one of the challenges of submitting is the problem of who you're submitting to, right? And so we could bring up another topic, headship, right? Headship, the husband has this role of the head of the home, according to this passage. What does that mean to be the head of the home? Once again, it says like Christ with the church. What kind of head was Christ? A great leader. See, one of the challenges of submitting is you think about who you're submitting to, and you think, well, I don't want to submit to this. And so the, the, you, have to, you have to kind of deal with both things at the same time, right? W- what does real headship look like? Listen to verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And so we think, what kind of head is he? He's a, he's a head that is a savior. The husband is to be the Messiah of your home, Right? Savior of the home. In a sense, using Christ as our example. There's that that plays into it. A a head that is is sacrificial. Right? Self-sacrificing head of the home sets an example. We read all kinds of things about nourishing and cherishing. This, of course, leads back to submission with Paul. He comes back to verse 24 and he says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And here we have this teaching is laid out for us. By itself, this could lead to an overbearing husband if he doesn't understand true headship. And many husbands have gone down that path of being overbearing. Not a good head of the home. But then Paul does something that for his day was very, very, very countercultural. Okay? He's going to say something next that, is, that goes extremely against what his culture taught. He says this, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You have to understand that in Paul's day, women were still considered property. They weren't, In fact, in some parts of where Paul was writing this, women were not even considered to be people. Did you know that? That's how it was in Paul's day. And so, for him to say this, love your wife. See, we think that everybody knows that that's how it's supposed to be, but that's not how it was. In fact, there were some Greek authors at Paul's time that would say things like this. He'd say, You know, you have a wife so that you can have legitimate children. That was the only purpose that they had. Well, that's ridiculous to our minds, but you have to understand. So when Paul writes this, he says, love your wives. And notice the degree he says this. So let's put this next, this next topic up here. We could, we could spend a day talking about what does it mean to love in the home. I think there's so many interesting things about this. First of all, who's the one that's responsible for love in the home, according to this passage? Is it the wife? Is it the husband? Holds the responsibility for love in the home. Uh, also we could talk about the fact that when it says love in this passage, the word love is the Greek word agape, it's an unconditional love. It's not talking about feelings at all. When he says love your wives, he's talking about you're you're placing them as more, their needs is more important than yours, right? Love your wives unconditionally, love them. I mean, this is actually really interesting, because remember back at the beginning, I said, submit yourselves one to another. Remember that? Just, just a few minutes ago. Just Remember that? You guys are looking at me like, I don't remember. Yeah, you remember that, right? Just, just a few minutes ago, submit to one another. And I said, Paul's going to display what submission, mutual submission looks like. Let me ask you a question. Which is the higher degree of submission? If you go to work for a boss, or if you go to war for your country? Which is the higher degree? I mean, just simply put, placing yourself underneath someone's authority, that's a degree of submission. But man, a, a much greater degree of submission, is it not to love someone? Do you see how Paul's now playing out what submission looks like in the home? Yeah, there's a submission that women and wives, yeah, submit to your husbands, but husbands love Unconditionally love your wives. Well, how far how what's the degree of love? And what does he say? As Christ loved what? The church. And did what? What did he he do? Gave himself. So so suddenly Paul says the picture of the extent and the degree of the the love that a husband should have for the wife is, is pictured in the cross. That far. That's pretty extensive, isn't it? Love your wives. It's word agape. Verse 28 says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. I mean, we could talk about this in such a great depth, just talking about what does it look like to love, and we could spend a whole week on that too. Even in this last little part, verse 31, you see this uh, quote from Genesis stems from that last idea of being loving them as their own bodies. It says, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the, the two shall become one flesh. I mean, We could talk about this, this one flesh relationship. What does that mean? What is Paul talking about? What is, what, what's the degree of unity that a marriage should have? That could deserve an entire message all on its own. But as I went through this passion, I was thinking about all the different things that I could talk about. And this, this is just a glimpse of the things. There's, there's four topics right there. I could, I, I could spend all kinds of time talking about each one of those things. And I think each one of those things deserves a conversation. But I think that for you today, there's something bigger that I don't want you to miss. Okay? And it's found right at the very end in verse 32. Let me put verse 32 up there for you. It says, This mystery is profound. And when Paul says mystery, he's not talking about something that's still a secret. Paul's talking about something that that is now revealed. It used to be something that we didn't know, but now we know it. And so he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, let's think about this. Let's think about this for a second. Uh, the mystery, like I said in this of is not a secret, it's a revelation. It's something that was there all along, and, and, and it had been missed, but Paul says, now I see it, and I'm revealing it to you. There's one other place in Ephesians where, where Paul talks about a mystery, and he connects it to being united to Christ in some way. And uh, chapter 3, talks about the mystery revealed that unites Jews and Gentiles into one body. And now here in chapter 5, verse 32, he's talking about this mystery it, it, it is in relation to the union between Christ and the church, or the husband and the wife. Let me me say it this way, because I don't want you to miss this, so I'm going to say it more than one way. That's what I do with my students. I'll say it one way, and then I'll say it a different way, and then I'll say it this way, because I don't want you to miss this. The phrase, right after the phrase says, I am saying that it refers to, right? This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to. That phrase in the Greek means uh, that the marriage illustrates something even more meaningful. Okay? Let me say it a different way. This time I'm going to quote. Um, One commentator put it this way. He says, The mystery of the union of man and wife into one flesh is of far-reaching importance and clearly points itself towards some eternal reality. You're thinking, Matt, what are you talking about? You're losing me a little bit. All right, let me say it a different way. Paul is not looking to Christ in the church as an example for marriage. Now, he does that a little bit. He says, you want to see what marriage should look like? Look at Christ in the church. He, he's doing that. But what Paul's ultimately coming to is this. He's saying that marriage, don't miss this. He's saying that marriage was invented or created to be an emblem of Christ and the church. Now, that changes some things. Let me explain. Let, let me just go back. We're going to go back to Genesis for a minute and think about what happened at, the crea- at creation. He mentions creation. Let's talk about what happened there. Let's think first of all about um, when God creates Adam. He creates Adam out of the dust of the ground and, and, and Adam sees all the other animals and he says, everybody's got somebody but me. <laughs> right? Where's I need a companion. There's nobody quite like me out there. And uh, so, so God does something. He, he, he puts him into a deep sleep takes a rib from his side. Instead of just going to the dust ground, he takes a rib from his side and, and, and creates Eve out of this. Okay? Now, so let's, let's start off with that rib there for a second. Because <clears throat> what, I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is that there's something much bigger going on in, in the God that we serve that he knew from the beginning this plan of redemption that he was going to have for us. And that he's wired into the very fabric of our society, of pictures of Jesus. And so right there at the very beginning, when he takes Adam and he says, I'm going to create for you a bride, right? Someone for you. He, he puts him into a sleep and he, he pierces the side. Think about that. What a picture of eventually Jesus on the cross. What is one of the final things that happens to Christ when he's on the cross? Is he not pierced in his side? I mean, Adam, there's, there's, a, there's a shedding of blood that goes on for his bride. And, and isn't that what eventually happens for, with Christ? There's a shedding of his blood for his people. His, the bride of Christ is the people of God. And then then you have Adam who's who's asleep, right? He's put, put out for a little bit. And you see that picture of Christ. After going to the cross, he's dead. He's gone from this world. Physically dead. For the sake of bringing life to someone else. And you see that with Adam, going out, going to sleep, coming back. You see that with Christ, going out working for us a regeneration and life, eternal life, right? And so we see this rib, we see the, the sleep, right, that Adam goes into. Christ is called the second Adam. The church is called his bride. Or how about the fact that the that, that Eve came from his own body? When, when Adam first sees Eve, he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right? How much so, you see this all throughout the New Testament, that the church is called the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And the church is his body. Come from himself. We are part of the body of Christ as his people. I mean, what a beautiful picture that that, that God has wired into these things. I love at the very end, as... God, and most likely in the person of Christ, presents Eve to Adam, presents her, right? You see, even in this passage, um, how it says Christ is preparing a bride for himself, he's going to cleanse her, purify her, this church, for himself. And one of the things that they had, they used to have a tradition in, in these particular days, in Paul's time period, where before a, a wedding ceremony, before the marriage ceremony, the day the day before, that night before, or in that morning, the, the bride would have a ceremonial bath to represent a cleansing for her husband, and would be bathed and cleansed. And I, I think there's a picture of that in this passage. Right? Did you hear Paul saying that? He's going to cleanse for himself a bride. I mean, Paul's done this and and he said. Our Christ has done this. He's presenting himself a bride. He's, he's died on the cross for his people and he's shed his own blood and he's gone to the tomb. He's risen again. And one day in the future, the Bible says that the church, his bride, will be presented to him and will be with him for eternity. Just like the bride finally coming to the husband in the, the wedding ceremony. And it, the Bible even tells us it's going to be a feast, a wedding feast. And this is amazing. When you let yourself just think about what's actually going on, it could just absolutely blow your mind. And so what I want to say is this. There are three things that I believe that you should get from this passage today that should have an impact on you. The first one I've kind of begun to to dig into, I believe that if you let yourself chew on what Paul is teaching here, See, because we could get into all those little topics and talk about it, and and there's so much we can learn. I believe that God's way of marriage works, and if we went to how, and we said, God, how do you want marriage to go? I mean, he created the idea of marriage. If we want to know how to have a good marriage, we should go to God and ask him, how does this work? And we should listen to teaching here. And I could spend all kinds of time talking about that, but there's something else there that I don't want you to miss. What a profound awe of God you could have if you just understood this fact. That God has... He's woven, I mean, right before Adam had even sinned, he was weaving into the, the very... Because the family stands at the very cornerstone of human society. That's undeniable. And so right there at the very foundation of our society, woven into the very intricacies of all that we do, God has written into it an emblem of his redemption of his people and the love that he has for his people. What an amazing God we serve. That he would wire into... Our society pictures of what he's doing on a, on a larger scale. And that marriage is really about something bigger. In fact, that leads me to my next thing I want to say is this. It gives you a right view of, of your role, or I put up there my role in, in marriage. It gives you a right view of your role in marriage. I mean, this really isn't about me. Uh, this means for me that as the husband of my home, the father in the house, I have this opportunity to paint a picture of what Jesus is like for his church. It's not really about me. It's about something bigger. I have an opportunity to play a part. I mean, even let's think about this in, in, in a different way. I mean, our society hinges so often on love stories, doesn't it? Love stories sell at the movie theater, in books. But the very idea of the love story, if what Paul is saying, this is a profound mystery, and I'm telling you, it's got to do with Christ and his church. That means that even in that, it goes back to Christ and his church. The very fact that we have a society that has love stories, right? Happily ever afters, is because of Jesus and what he's done. And the, the picture of the love story, the, the, this, this Messiah that comes in and, and rescues the bride, gives him of himself to, to save her and create her new, and then presents her to himself, restored from the, from the depths up to glory, and loves her and cherishes her. What a beautiful love story. But it goes back to Christ and his church. That's what it's really about. The fact that you have marriage in this world, the fact that we have marriage in this world, is because of what God designed at the beginning to be a picture of the redemption of his people. And that's amazing, and that should play into how, for those of you in this room that are married, it should play into how you view your marriage. That it's not about you; it's about something bigger. See, it's not. Oh, let's look at Jesus to see how we should be married. It's about. It's about saying, marriage was created just to be a picture of what Christ is doing, and I get to, be able to play a part in that. And so it gives me a right view of my role. I get to be like Jesus in my marriage. Finally, and I think that this last point is so important for, for our society that we live in today. I think this promotes a love for this Christian view of marriage. See if you understand. If you really grasp in your heart and you understand that marriage was created and invented to be a picture of Christ and His church, it could change how you view marriage. I mean we, we live in a society where marriage has fallen apart, aren't we? I mean many of us in this room have been been touched by marriages that haven't worked. Is that not right? I mean it, we, we, we don't stand free of that. Many of us face hardship in marriage struggles in marriage we've seen it done wrong but this shouldn't cause us to abandon what God originally intended should it we should know in our hearts and in our heads we should say God created this wonderful thing to be a picture of what he's doing perfectly with his people as the perfect bride of Christ will one day be restored to him and presented to him we got to know this is what it's really about and we live in a society where the whole idea of marriage is being questioned. You know, and you have ideas that are coming about things like gay marriage. And you're saying, you know, and some of us, we just, we just don't like that because of how we grew up. But you can't determine your truth based on just how you grew up. You have to base it on what Scripture says. And so this should actually heighten that. Not to just be a simple disgust and you say, ooh, I don't like that. But to say, no, you have to understand that marriage is a picture of something. It's a picture of Jesus. And and, and to question it is not simply to question uh, some institution that people came up with. It's to question right at the very heart of how our society was structured with family at the center of of this this Messiah that's going to redeem His people and love His people and care for His people and present His people to Himself as a bride for all eternity. I mean that dedication in, in, in marriage is meant to be that picture of afterward there with Christ forever, and so we, we shouldn't give up on the idea of marriage. God created it. We should love what it represents and not become negative about the, the prospect or or, or or down about what, what it's like or it, no, no, no. Don't let your experiences influence how you view what it was meant to be. Right? Don't let how you've experienced it influence what God designed it to be. It was designed to be a picture of the loving Christ giving his life for his bride. I want to encourage you because since this is true, because this is true and because Christ has done all as the savior for his people you as an individual participate in that story in being part of the bride of Christ and here's the thing not because you are worthy and that should be a relief not because you've done it right Not because you've been a good person. But simply because Christ is good. And he loves. And he's sacrificed. That's the gospel message that we proclaim. It's all about him. So when you see this marriage picture coming, you have to say, I'm so thankful that Christ stands at the center and not me. Right? Nothing is hinging on you, getting it right, and doing everything perfect. It's all hinging on Him. He's the Savior. He's the hero of the story, this love story, between Him and His bride, the church. And He's the hero. Right? I guess that would make all of us the damsel in distress. And our knight in shining armor will come one day to take his bride, perfectly cleansed, to be united with him for all of eternity. And he's going to make sure it happens, not us. What a beautiful love story. What a great picture. For those of you in this room that are married, let that stand right up here. This is, this is what I, I want to be like that. I want to be a good picture of what Christ and his church looks like. Uh, for those of you that aren't, understand this first of all. Your standing with God is not determined by what's happened in your life. Your standing with God is determined by Christ's love for you. Right? Right? So you don't have to walk away from this thinking, oh man, I I blew it in this way or I blew it in that way. And some of you may not think that, but I I know that it's easy to go down that path. Man, I should have done, I, I I wasn't being like Jesus in my home, or I wasn't being, I didn't do those things. And maybe that affected, I don't know. You know, take that all to the side and understand this, that you can stand before God righteous, not because of you, but because of Jesus. What a wonderful truth that is. That you can stand before Him with confidence, knowing what a great Savior He is. Let Him be the hero of the story, right? Not you. You're not the hero. He is. Put your faith in Him and say, Lord, I've messed up. I've blown it. Or I haven't done it right, but I'm going to put my faith in you from this this day forward. As the hero of the story. Alright? Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you, God, for this day, and I I just thank you, Lord, that you are the hero of the story, the the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, Lord, the the Groom, the one that uh, has given up his life for us and, and and made us the people of God by his sacrifice. Lord, I thank you that he, you've done it all. And Lord, we can look at this this great picture of 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 what marriage is supposed to be a picture of. And we can see you right in the middle of it. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on what a great saver you are. Lord, I pray that that would then influence how we live. Lord, if we're married, I pray that you help us to, to let that influence how we approach marriage, that it's not really about us, it's about something bigger. Lord, I pray that if if, if we're not, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to be the kind of people that promote right marriage and what it's supposed to represent with our friends with our family Lord encourage marriage to be done the right way to be a picture of Christ help us not to forget that that's what it's about Lord I just ask that you would be with each person in this room this week Lord as we begin to trust you are the hero of the story Lord, we would not look to ourselves as being righteous, but Lord, we would look to you as as our righteousness for us. And our faith would be in you, and our trust would be in you, and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.